You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Thief, which came out in 1981 and was directed by Michael Mann. It stars James Kahn, Tuesday Weld, Jim Belushi, Robert Prosky, Dennis Farina, Tom Signorelli, and Willie Nelson. The genre would be crime drama. Are you clear? You've been putting down two, three scores a month. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three carat ring. I'm a thief. You don't know from one day to the next whether you're going to be killed, go home, or get busted. What's wrong with you? James Caan. Thief. R.I.P. to James Kahn, who just recently left us at the age of 82. He was a truly singular talent who could combine strength and vulnerability in a manner that few others could even approach on screen over the past 50-plus years, since his breakout role in the highly acclaimed TV drama Brian's Song. He has been pretty great in films big and small. Previous episode, The Godfather, Elf, Rollerball, Alien Nation, Gardens of Stone, and of course, this film, which contains what I would consider to be his best overall performance as the eponymous thief of the title. James Kahn plays Frank, a relatively well-off ex-con living in Chicago who runs a car dealership as his day job while periodically truly exercising his expertise as one of the premier safecrackers around. Frank is approaching 40, and after thieving for so many years while only working with one partner on and off, played by Jim Belushi, He's now seeking that one proverbial, quote, last big score, which will allow him to settle down a bit. But the opportunity to take on this one big score, which involves stealing a very lucrative collection of diamonds from a seemingly impenetrable safe at a high rise in Los Angeles, this only comes from having to partner with a local crime boss named Leo, who is wired into the local Chicago crime underworld, which brings with itself a whole new set of risks for Frank, beyond just successfully pulling off the caper. 185000 of my money. We have this problem. What problem? What are you talking about? He was moving my merchandise. So the money in his pocket when he went out the window is my money. Thief the Movie just turned 40 about a year ago, and it remains a pretty seminal movie. Not only was it the dawn of man, and I'm referring to Michael Mann, but it was one of the first feature films to be produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. And having rewatched it, it's very obvious that Mann and Bruckheimer would both carry the vibe and aesthetic of this film with them for decades to come. It's easy to see the slick urban crime slash music video DNA in this from Mann's career, from Miami Vice, which was a show that he produced and created, to Heat, to Collateral. But just look at the next several films to come from Bruckheimer. American Gigolo, Flashdance, Cat People, Top Gun. Even though this was their only collaboration, you could say that the sun-drenched, synth soundtrack, cinema style, which would define the 80s, started with this movie. But of course, Michael Mann's films, 
and he also wrote this film, have always specialized in delivering all of the minutiae needed to pull off such complicated crimes. And this includes patching into high-rise alarm systems, having a metallurgist create that special tool to burn its way through an impenetrable safe, and of course, working out the finances with local villains like Leo, played menacingly by the late, great Robert Prosky. You want to put down contract scores all over the country, working directly for me? I am self-employed. I am doing fine. I don't deal with egos. I am Joe the boss of my own body. So what the fuck do I have to work for you for? Maybe you don't. I'll lay it out. You can be the judge. You don't look. You don't case. You don't do nothing. We point you to a score. When we say it's there, it's there. They're all laid out scores. Money, guns, cars. I'd be your father from here on out. Michael Mann is so good at immersing us into this world that it almost feels real. And even beyond that, we get to really know and understand Frank. This is one of Khan's best performances, as he not only nails the tough guy moments, as we would expect from Sonny Corleone of The Godfather, but has several effective moments of his character realizing just how vulnerable he really is, and not hiding from that. Frank is now clearly trying to play catch-up with his life, after spending so many years as an adult behind bars. And because of that, he's not only desperate to get his life settled with a family, but he also wants to make good for his mentor, who's still in jail. What do you need, man? Get me out of here. Ten months and you're on the street. Yeah, you know Doc Shelton? Yeah. Uh, little bastard, he's killed more guys than the electric chair. Yeah, well, I got angina, something, something, something. And I'm not going to last ten months. And I don't want to die in here, Frank. Not in here. And that would be played by Willie Nelson. Yep, that Willie Nelson, who has a couple of very touching scenes as that mentor. And Tuesday Weld, playing Jesse, who gives a strong, sympathetic performance as the woman who Frank wants to settle down with. All around, this is one of Michael Mann's best, and definitely one of Bruckheimer's best. This is a strong recommendation for those seeking style and substance in their crime dramas. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Michael Mann's directorial style was likely one of the earlier ones that would often be compared to music videos, and this blended perfectly with the dreamy sounds of Tangerine Dream. And yes, I've referred to this band before for the film that they conducted their very first score for just a few years prior to this. Well, that was Sorcerer. Check out that episode, by the way. With the right mix of smooth electric guitars over a mid-tempo beat, Sometimes it's just better to take in some scenery. And we see this during a wordless sequence late in the film when James Conn's Frank and his crime partner Barry, played by Jim Belushi, they just finished that proverbial last big score. And they are now unwinding with some family and friends on a San Diego beach, enjoying a gorgeous day of looking out on the water while soothing but celebratory music plays overhead from Tangerine Dream. This is literally the calm before the storm for this story, as soon Frank will be finding out in the next scene just the kind of criminal organization that he has been roped into. But for now, it's just frolicking on the beach with Jesse and the recently adopted baby. Just a gorgeous sequence, and it's pure, 100% Michael Mann. The track is fittingly called Beach Theme.
And now the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now about that criminal organization I just mentioned. As stated prior, it's led by Leo, played by then-veteran theater actor Robert Prosky in what was his first on-screen role, at the age of 50 no less. And Prosky is absolutely fantastic in this role, bringing multiple dimensions to what could have just been your typical gangster villain. He at first presents himself as an easygoing, cool customer, someone who's willing to accommodate Frank. His Leo honestly comes off as the most friendly mob boss you're ever likely to meet. And for pretty much the remaining 95% of Prosky's career from this point on, he would play into this teddy bear persona more and more. Prosky would almost always play the benevolent, older, wiser grandfather figure in movies as diverse as Mrs. Doubtfire, Dead Man Walking, Last Action Hero, and Broadcast News. This became his lane, and he was excellent at it. But then, as we get into the third act of this movie, as he starts to renege on paying out the entire fee for Frank's diamond score, and in response, Frank just isn't having it, which he makes clear. Well, let's just say that his character, Leo, takes a very sinister, yet believable turn. This culminates in a very chilling scene where Leo has his goons commit a very violent act right in front of Frank, then leading to him basically laying out the law to Frank. Your kid's mine because I bought it. You got him on loan. He is leased. You are renting him. I'll whack out your whole family. People will be eating them for lunch tomorrow in their wimpy burgers and not know it. You get paid what I say. You do what I say. I run you. There is no discussion. I want you work until you are burned out, you are busted, or you're dead. Now I'll tell you, Prosky is so effective taking this turn that I just find it all the more disappointing that for the next 25 plus years, we would not really see this side of him again as an actor, especially throughout the 90s as we would see a new renaissance of crime dramas in the wake of both Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction. I just have to think that there would have been any number of juicy organized crime villain roles for Robert Prosky to take on, roles that otherwise went to actors like Paul Sorvino, Jerry Orbach, or Frank Vincent. I mean, who knows? Maybe continuously playing the more cuddly grandfather type, it just paid better. So I get it. Robert Prosky passed away in 2008 at the age of 77, and this remains one of his best performances. And that brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. For such a hard-boiled type of drama, the sequence which has always stood out to me the most is a sequence early on in the film between Frank and Jesse, which is all about bonding in a unique way. On paper, their relationship does not make much sense from the get-go. We follow them through this utterly bizarre first date, which starts out contentious because Frank's late, and it just gets stranger from there. I, I am a straight arrow. I am a true blue kind of a guy. I've been cool. I am now unmarried. So let's cut the mini-moves and the bullshit and get on with this big romance. However, props to all involved because it just develops into this strangely moving scene of them sitting at a diner late at night where Frank just bears his soul about what he went through in prison. Hey, would uh, <clears throat> go into these cells and grab these young guys and bring them up to hydrotherapy in a mental ward, uh, gangbang. If a guy puts up a struggle, they beat him half to death and he winds up in a funny farm and... Anyway, word comes down that I am next. And I do not know what I am supposed to do. I, uh, I'm scared. It is such a tricky scene that could easily fall into maudlin or just ridiculous territory, but both actors really make it work. 
Just watching Tuesday Weld's reactions to what she's hearing from Frank and how they evolve over the conversation as she realizes just how sincere he is? Well, let's just say that this scene earns its place alongside Michael Mann's much more celebrated diner scene to come 14 years later, in Heat. And of course, what sells it the most is Khan, in what might be his best piece of acting overall as he tells this heartfelt monologue. And so I can't, I can't work fast enough to catch up, and I can't run fast enough to catch up, and the only thing that catches me up is doing my magic act. But it ends, you know? It will end. I got this. Right there. It ends, it's over. So I'm just asking you to be with me. Yes, it's a lot to lay on someone for a first date, but that's part of what makes it such a compelling scene. And now the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. More than 40 years after this film came out, what likely sets it apart from any other number of crime dramas or heist films is this truly unique collaboration between a seasoned actor and this up-and-coming director. Through the 70s, in the lead-up to taking on this role, James Caan had already made a name for himself playing tough guys, usually hot-headed tough guys. He excelled at playing men of action, who were often defined by how adept they were at specific physical acts. While working here with Michael Mann for the first and sadly, last time, we are able to dig much further as he's now playing someone very articulate about what he wants, along with also being so physically intimidating. In fact, he's almost too articulate to the point where he can often confound those around him who initially think that he's just some big bruiser. You know, you're not smart enough to take this any more than you are to, to, to recognize good parents. Get out of my office. Well, you did not ask about us. You didn't ask what kind of people we are. There was a child waiting, and you are denying us him and him us. Who the hell are you? Don't make a scene. Our criteria. Your criteria? Your criteria are so far up your ass they can't see daylight. This is bullshit. It's not happening. Let's go. Look, I got some ABC type information for you, lady. I was state raised. And this is a dead place. A child in eight by four green walls. After a while, you tell the walls my life is yours. Would you grow up in the suburbs? And this takes us to the core of what man has achieved so many times since then over the past several decades, with other films including Heat, Collateral, Ali, The Insider, Manhunter. Nobody, and I mean no other living American filmmaker, has been more adept at getting to the soul of isolated men of action and how they relate to others. This can include master thieves, detectives, scientists turned whistleblowers, professional boxers, etc., in other words, hardcore technicians who immerse themselves in the minutiae of their work to the point of isolation. And often through sequences of allowing his characters to just, well, sit down and talk, often within a diner or coffee shop, most famously, Michael Mann gives us a compelling window into the hearts and minds of some unique individuals who, in the hands of most other filmmakers, would just be presented to the audience as the, quote, strong silent type. It's how a film like Thief transcends just being a highly entertaining crime drama into being just great drama, period. For successfully collaborating to pull this off and to give us one of the best films all around of the 1980s, Michael Mann and the late great James Caan are your co-MVPs.
my rating for Thief would be five stars out of five. Jimmy Kahn will certainly be missed for how much he has contributed to cinema over the past 50 plus years. And if you're looking to delve into his filmography, this is as good a starting point as any. And if you're looking to watch Thief, it's currently streaming on Roku, Pluto TV, and Tubi. And that ends another Metallurgic Review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.